What's up? What's up, everybody? It's your boy, State of the State of the New York Knicks podcast. Shout outs to my guy, you know, Alec Marcus of Sportsology. He came in through the came to the pod, you know, share his information on this beautiful article that he's written, you know, a couple of days back. And he spoke about the Knicks and he spoke about Tom Thibodeau and the young core and our future. And it was a beautiful article that was written by Alec. So I appreciate you, my guy. And I want Nick Nation to tune in. Also, um, I'm releasing this pod right after the OKC game. And of course, we crush OKC. Of course, Julius Randle has a triple-double. Of course, Emmanuel quickly has another 20-point game. Of course, R.J. Barrett finally hit the 30-point mark, even though I'm a little disappointed with Frank Nilakina and Obi Top in this game and Kevin Knox not seeing no minutes. I'm pleased with what's going on this season. We must continue. Now, tune in to this great podcast with my guy, Mr. Marcus of Sportsology. Let's go. Hey, what's up? What's up, everybody? It's your boy, State of the State of the New York Knicks podcast, episode 138. And I appreciate Nick Nation for tuning in to this episode because of the first for the first time, we got Alec Marcus of Sportsology who writes beautiful articles for this website. Um, how you doing, brother? This is your first time on the show. Um, I appreciate you coming on to the show, and I appreciate the beautiful article that I came across to it that you wrote as well. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you definitely had the kindest words to say. I am so honored to be uh, on this show, and yeah, I'm, I'm just super happy we're getting back to Nick's tonight. I guess that's what I'm most excited about, and certainly to talk about this article with you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it, man. You know, I'm always reading a lot of Nick every day. Like, I'm reading um, Nick's Wall articles, Nick's mm-hmm. Film School. So I came across your article, and I was intrigued by it because I wanted a person who is not a not a Nick fan. I understand you're a Nick fan, but like an NBA fan in total. You get what I'm saying? Because you, you write articles for other teams, and I read your um, 76ers article. I love that one as well. But I wanted an outside opinion. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've been wanting to write about uh, NBA for a while. I'm definitely more of an NBA fan than a Knicks fan. And I, if I wrote about the Knicks right away, it'd be very biased. So I wanted to start to appreciate what other teams are doing around the country, even in Toronto and uh, Canada, and just see, uh, you know, the feel for all these other teams. And then finally, it was like, well, the Knicks are really making a lot of noise. I better, uh, I better write an article about them and see how I can parallel to some of the other I was talking about and I found my footing here love it love it and you know that's a great segue to the first part of this lovely pod and basically how you became an NBA fan bro and what inspires you for your work like how did you become a part of sportsology you know like what how did you become an NBA fan what inspires you for your work that you do or who inspires you and what inspired you to start writing articles specifically? You know. Yeah, a- absolutely. Great questions. Uh, I think, you know, I was always a sports fan, but no one in my family really liked basketball. And then I got into 2K, and I loved learning about the teams. I loved the players. I loved just learning about the history of the league. What's your favorite one? 
What's your favorite one? Favorite one? Oh man, um, I think two K thirteen was pretty groundbreaking, even though it's pretty back in the day. Uh, I know I started with two K eleven, and I've been getting everyone since. Um, they're pretty great now, and and I just think that you know back then that's when finally they started to get Jordan in the mix. Um, they started mm-hmm. incorporating all the classic teams. We fell in love. Um, with the history of the league. And then, you know, it was a very exciting time around then. LeBron had just went to Miami. Uh, the Knicks locally yep. were making some noise when they got Melo and Stott. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I became a fan there. And then what inspires me to write before I get into sportsology is I love watching uh, the shows on TV. I love the halftime shows. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm talking about uh, Inside the NBA with Shaq, uh, Kenny, Charles, and Ernie. I love the jump that's new with Rachel Nichols and all the gang. Um, I love just all of the, you know, the TNT broadcasters and I love um, watching on ESPN and ABC. So all those people just hire me to speak my mind, start talking to my friends and people online now about the game and just about the league. And so we can a great conversation going and share everybody's viewpoints as uh, the league is just, you know, more exciting as the years go by. And then with Sportsology, I wanted to write. um, Mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to say what I wanted to say to people that, you know, weren't locally. I wanted to cover other teams. So I looked for a blog site. My friend actually, um, college, which covers all sports and the hoopsology section was kind of struggling, you know, not passionate hoops fans there. Um, you know, nobody's really, you know, the teams weren't that great, I guess, for a while when the, when the blog was up, but <laughs> I, I spearheaded it. I, uh, I definitely wanted to, uh, take that on and then I started writing about some teams and it's been great I publish article pretty much every week um, and I meet people on Twitter like yourself and I'm able to just talk about um, all meet people of all different fan bases every time I promote an article I cover for a specific team that week I get to cover um, and and it's just so nice to be able to you know see what's going on with teams and organizations and players that are going nuts and talk fan bases and just really embrace the community and i'm so familiar with the knicks community as a fan myself that it was finally time they had earned you know my attention to finally write about them and uh <laughs> yeah and and it, it was just so nice to hear from you and other people you know knicks fans are you know understandably much more enthusiastic about their team this year than in previous years for other teams in the league so it's it's been great and i would love to keep um you know helping out other platforms like yours and keep writing and i'll be writing more now that the second half is so so two things yeah before we get into the next the rachel nichols thing she blocked me the other day on twitter she blocks um (laughs) yeah she blocked me um but she had a she had a good reason she had a good reason um here's my thing Mm -hmm. when it comes to you know media members and, and, and people that talks about the Knicks. right she was clowning us (laughs) <laughs> literally clowning us for two, two, three years straight. She clowned us when we didn't get Kevin Durant and Kyrie. And she clowned us this past summer when we hired Thibodeau. So I kind of, I kind of, I, I kind of shy away from a lot of them. And I'm, I will at you on Twitter when I see something I don't like, Good. I will comment. And I probably said something that was egregious. <laughs> 
<laughs> and she blocked me. So so I respect it. Mm-hmm. But the but the second thing I wanted to say to you is I appreciate your work. Thank you. Um people don't understand, bro, like writing articles is really difficult because you really gotta expand your imagination. Mm-hmm. Like people don't understand, like you staying up one in the morning, you writing an article, or you busy as hell, you gotta write an article. So I applaud you for the work that you Thank do. Thank you very bro. much. Really, do. And I applaud you too. It's it's a two way street doing a podcast and uh, being committed to it, and just you know, I have the I have the freedom, and we'll we'll get uh, going here in a sec. But I definitely have the freedom mm-hmm. of oh, I can space it out. You know, I can you know recover my later, or I can I can uh, just make sure it looks really great before I send it out to publisher. But you, you know, we're doing this live. We're doing this. We're doing this uh, with a little bit of an agenda, but we have no idea where the conversation takes us. So I definitely have a lot of respect for you too, and uh, a show like this and being able to just have it run naturally and and um, and it just goes you know unplanned, but that's more exciting. And hopefully we have a good conversation today. Yeah, right. Hey, real quick mm-hmm. before we oh, get yeah. in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this is true story, mm-hmm. bro. This is fact. I've never been nervous. I've never been nervous talking to anybody during doing a um podcast mm-hmm. right i was doing a podcast with jonathan macri bro mm-hmm. and he's one of the main goats of nick's twitter as far as um nick podcasting and everything mm-hmm. i swear to god i was so nervous bro. <laughs> and i I, fe- I knew i was nervous because i kept stuttering mm-hmm. and then I, I literally had to tell macri like yo i'm a bit nervous he was like nah nah it's okay you know, you just slow down and get your thoughts together and ask me the question. But I say that to just say that I just say that to say this. It takes a lot of practice, bro. Yes. A lot of practice yes. to, to to get this podcast thing perfected. Like it, it takes a lot of practice and a lot. You got to use your imagination. Absolutely. But um, let's get right yeah. into it. Yeah. man. I want to know what inspired you to write this next article. After after watching the season we had last season, because I was pissed off last season all mm-hmm. year. I was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see the first paragraph that you, and you spoke about David Fisdale in the four eight four and eighteen start and, and how we didn't make the playoffs for seven seven consecutive years. So I wanted to I wanted you to start off from that point. Like what what made you write this article specifically? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been huge, huge Knicks fan. I won't lie. Um it's definitely even with me in terms of my love with the NBA is my love for the Knicks. And one treats me a whole lot better than the other one does, but that's another show. <laughs> um, why, did I, why did I start writing? I've, I've been following them for so long. I understand everything more about them than other organizations. And through the first couple of weeks, whichever team was making noise, that's the team that I was writing about. So I wrote about, wrote about the Jazz, and then the Jazz blew up. And then I wrote about the Sixers, and the Sixers have been blowing up. And then... I wrote about the Warriors. They're making noise with Curry. And then the Knicks, I mean, everybody was talking about them on every show. Great, great. You know, they had a winning record. They were turning things around. Randall was really getting star consideration. And quickly was looking yep. amazing. And Robin, RJ were doing well. And then you talk about how they're first in defense. And so I just thought, you know, early times to talk about the Knicks. And I took a lot more thought about it and said, this is really the culmination of eight years of misery eight years of really getting it wrong we'll talk about the reasons but mainly like you said mm-hmm. they got you know we thought everything was going right with it they finally got the right hire steve mills 
was you know shying away from big names. They were just going to play play um, play the cards they were dealt, and they were already still losing. There was no progress being made. It was so many years that we're going to get a little better, make some signings, make some good draft picks, and then right back down again. And so this year finally feels like I'm comfortable to say there's some traction. We didn't get the free agents, didn't make the trades, didn't get Zion or Ja, but you are pretty happy with the signings that they made. You are pretty happy with the players they drafted. You are really happy with the people that they brought into the organization. And it's time to acknowledge that. For anybody that's interested in the NBA, obviously everybody's going to go nuts when the Knicks are winning because that's a huge market and and they haven't been good in so long. And, and it, you're right, like all those people, you know, knock on the Knicks and throw shade, but they really deserve it because they're doing something very difficult and they're overperforming and it's during a pandemic and they need to be informed on this very long process and how it all just come together so quickly, so beneficially that we were able to celebrate uh, the All-Star break. It, it was beautiful, bro. This is the this is the first time the Knicks have been above 500 at the All-Star break since 2013 season, mm-hmm. that magical season with Carmelo Anthony and the Vets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went through the whole trading Porzingis thing. I don't, you know, I was mad when we traded Porzingis, but come to find out, you know, things happen. Mm-hmm. And you spoke about how the team finished 21 and 45 and they was placed 12th in the Eastern Conference, you know. And we won. I, I for me, we won the lottery because we got RJ Barrett. And my reasoning for RJ Barrett is he doesn't he he doesn't use his athleticism um to score. Mm-hmm. He uses skill and his bulk, mm-hmm. how strong he is. I feel like he's gonna last longer than our, um Zion and John mm-hmm. Moran. And also, he's a better defender than both Zion and John mm-hmm. Moran easily. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I, I, I love the R.J. Barrett pick. I didn't like the Porzingis trade. So now we go into part one, right? Mm-hmm. And you put highly respected manager. What made you put that title for the first paragraph? And also, how did you feel about the Leon Rose hire when we first hired him into now? So I try to come up with a catchy little theme for each team I cover than just saying, oh, the Knicks are really good now. The Jazz have been great. You know, I, I try to come up with some sort of theme. And with the Knicks, it's really just been about dysfunction of an organization. Not you didn't have talent. Not you didn't have the money. Not that you didn't have, uh, you know, the not that you didn't have the personnel. It was just unhealthy. So finally, you know, being in New York, being, you know, the city, New York City being the business capital of the world, What's up, man? It's your boy, State of the State of the New York Knicks podcast. You know how Anchor do, man. Anchor just shut off while we was recording. I apologize for the delay, but let's get right back into it, man. Yeah, um, we right back. <laughs> don't worry about it, bro. I'm going to that part out, bro. <laughs> All right, yeah. No, <laughs> sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Nah, nah. Anchor, Anchor has an issue sometimes you know it just does that sometimes but uh, we, we right back man it, it don't even matter so basically highly respected manager yes and go ahead <laughs> uh, thank you so much man. Uh-huh. um so yeah highly respected manager you need someone that if you're really going to turn this thing around and there's going to be huge expectations you got to have someone that has pedigree someone that went before someone that young guys can really look up to someone that 
players want to play for and someone that can lead. And you t- definitely have that with Thibodeau. You didn't have that with Fisdale. You didn't have that with Fisher. You didn't have that with Rambis. You didn't have that with Horn. Like that, that was just, we're trying to make the playoffs to salvage the team and the fan base. But you're really, really getting it right here with Thibodeau. They, um, I say here, you know, they made a splash. That's what everybody wanted. But it really wasn't a player. It was a coach. Ended Tibbs, who uh, brought the Bulls back to relevancy, the heights of the Jordan days. They brought the Timberwolves back to the playoffs with a very young team. And that was practically unheard of that the Timberwolves were going to be a considerable good team. And now it's with the Knicks. They have had endless instability, and you just want stability. You just mm-hmm. want the right guys to get the heavy minutes. You just want them to try and play defense. You want them to sit down when they have poor shooting or they're not trying or they're not playing as a team. And you just want traction. You just want them to to have something, have a foundation. And you definitely have that with Thibodeau. And you said Leon Rose, too. Like, being able to have someone that um, really talented guys and really successful players can go to and say, this is a quality organization. Why does he want to be here? He definitely recognizes the potential. And he understands he can do it this way because it's a total reconstruction of the franchise. And now you have someone admirable leading the way and not someone who is just a small market GM or someone that is good at putting a team together, but someone that can really build a really successful enterprise on a big stage. And that is what we're going to talk about in the next few years now that the coaching is finally underway. And, you know, salute to you, man. I love these these specific three sentences right here, bro. I love this about the um, first paragraph. Basically, it says Tibbs is sticking to – his model of playing young guys for heavy playing young guys for heavy minutes, demanding defensive effort and creating accountability within a strict low volume rotation. That right there is what I really love about Thibodeau. Even though I hate his rotation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he'll leave his players in for the first 11 minutes of the game. And I'm like, Thibodeau, come on now. You ain't playing 2K. The fatigue not off, brother. <laughs> you got to take some dudes out. But I can understand what he's doing, right? And then you also mentioned about you also mentioned how he broke um the Minnesota Timberwolves 14-year drought in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. So this first paragraph really illustrates, you know, how Thibodeau has affected the organization. How do you feel about Leon Rose though? And the reason why I'm asking you this question is because, you know, today it comes out that Patrick Ewing, you know, he had the same issue that Spike Lee had. You know, the security guards asking him, who are you? What's your name? And this is Patrick Ewing, who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So Leon Rose puts out a statement, literally like a statement, literally an hour later, and defuses the bomb. And I'm like, this guy is, this guy is gold. We got to protect Leon Rose. So how do you feel about Leon Rose having us where we are right now and all of the management hires in the background? I'm going to give you a, a real quick name. Kenny Payne is on the Knicks right now. Uh, Kentucky's assistant coach. Well, used to be. Kentucky is 9-16 right now, and they will not be making the NCAA tournament. So Yeah, yeah. You needed the, the Knicks, the last thing you need, and again, like it goes upon instability. I guess it's more of an internal thing, but externally, the Knicks are, they mm-hmm. cannot push around. They, you know, the Lakers are finally getting it together. Boston, um, Miami, these are big markets. 
York has been a laughing stock. They can't be pushed around. Leon Rose mm-hmm. diffusing all of the toxic drama with um, with with Patrick Ewing and even like James Dolan and secure whatever today. Like it, you that's gr- that's great. You need someone to defend the greats. You need to have respect for the organization and all the people that have the uh, team to this moment and have hung the band. You need someone to bring in not you know great minds, but people with connections and great credibility, mm-hmm. which is, brings in Kentucky, and now they have all these Kentucky guys. And uh, you know the same goes for Worldwide West, who we can get into later, and and how he's going to market the team and bring in uh, big names. And the Knicks, it's just all about being a reputable organization. I guess this is more about the business analogy. You need them to be a very appreciated franchise that doesn't mess around and is able to accomplish great things because that's ultimately why he got the role because they were messing up the presidency so many times before. And you're starting to see it carry over into other New York teams like the um, and the giants. And it's all, it's all about just being reputable and being respected. And Leon Rose has that credibility and it'll ultimately end the instability and hopefully, I guess, hopefully, you know, bring some success and bring all the, all the, you know, all the predecessors back uh, like Patrick Ewing and bring in some new great guys like Kenny Payne and so on so that they can just be a, you know, a powerhouse of connections and, and, you know, pet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, first of all, I love that first paragraph. Like it, it that's a great start off, bro. Great Thank start you. off. And but then the second paragraph is where I'm like, what the hell? What the hell is going on here? Like, so you you named it motivated human resources, yeah. right? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking you talk about, you know, the 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 management guys, the guys in the background. But then you 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 made it a a big picture. Like you wanted to paint this big picture. You 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 talked about, you know, Alec Burks and some of the vets that we got and Mitchell Robinson and whatnot and Julius Randle. But can you please explain to the listeners and me too? Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to lie. Like I would love for, you, <laughs> love for you to explain this to me as well. Cause I was a bit confused my goddamn self. <laughs> um, and, and one more thing, you know, I would like for you to talk about Scott Perry a little bit because he is the guy who came in and cleaned up Phil Jackson's, shitty mess that was left all over the place in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah. So motivated human resources. I mean, that's a very strange, it's definitely one of the strangest uh, that I came up with. But basically just the Knicks have been sluggish. They haven't put in so much effort. Their players just want to produce on the big stage and get highlights and get fans going crazy. And the Knicks are so much better this year and taking a leap forward because they're motivated to – have it sustainable and build a foundation and come together as a team. They're so much more motivated to put in heavy minutes and take smart shots and make smart passes and try on defense and play hard in the fourth quarter and defend the guard. And that's always been their mantra is that, you know, nobody comes to the garden and, and kicks us around. Then, you know, everybody gets kicked around, but now with the Knicks, they're motivated. So like I say, Everybody was creating buzz. There were some all-stars um, coming, mm-hmm. some veterans. They were, you know, creating a lot of buzz and doing exciting things. But, you know, come March, it's great. You know, you're not winning anymore. 
um, you know, you're just exciting the crowd on a, on a, you know, scattered, uh, sporadic basis, whatever. And <clears throat> this new crop of talent, because of Thibodeau, he says, we're going to be disciplined. We're going to try, or you're not going to play. It doesn't matter where we play. It matters like how you play. And RJ Barrett, I, I I'll talk about it here uh, with all these individual examples. Cause you don't want to just say, Oh, the team's trying more. You know, they're really all motivated. RJ Barrett, Mm-hmm. The third pick, which is pretty much unheard of nowadays, didn't make the all-rookie team. He did excellent. He was third in rookie scoring, but he has that chip on his shoulder. And Mitchell Robinson mm-hmm. was averaging over two blocks per game, but was only starting a, like a fifth of the time. And Alec Burks mm-hmm. was shooting 30% from three-point range. Finally, a sharp shooter, and he was passed around by five teams in two years. And most notably, Julius Randle averaging 15 and nine for his career at 25 was let go by the Pelicans because they didn't see him as a franchise player. So now all these guys come together with Thibodeau also trying to revive his career because he went out kind of shady with uh, Minnesota. They're all extremely motivated. They all have chips on their shoulders. That's why I think that they were able to buy in so quickly no pun intended and accountability is coming about um, all the players on the court. Because when you look at the rotation, everybody has a reason to be pissed off because they were all doubted. They were all passed on. They were all go. Mm -hmm. And when you come together, that's the uniting factor. So, yeah, they're all human resources, sure. They're all assets. They can be flipped around any given way, any given day. You recognize that they're trying. They're brought together by their – uh, perseverance because of how much they've had to overcome despite production and it's a perfect time to uh, play as a team and all perform together is doing absolutely wonderful things for everybody involved on the team individually yo I love the way you explained that now I understand clearly <laughs> what the hell that paragraph meant Love the way that you explained that. Um, I think that also falls in line with a Scott Perry. Bro. Oh, yeah, you um, said Scott Perry. Yeah, that's, yeah but the, the reason why I'm saying that is because, you know, Scott Perry is one of those guys who comes in here, he cleans up uh, Phil Jackson's mess, he trades Porzingis, gets two first-round picks, draft Kevin Knox, who I, I wanted Kevin Knox during that draft. Um, He's making me look stupid, <laughs> kicking me in my face. And Mitchell Robinson, then he drafts us R.J. Barrett, you know, I quickly wasn't all him from what I've read. Emmanuel quickly was a William uh, Worldwide West mm-hmm. pick. So, you know, talk about Scott Perry and how he's coming here and, and just clean this mess up, basically. Um, we come a long way from – I will never forget this, bro, before yeah. you go. I remember sitting in my crib and I watched Phil Jackson on live TV trade Carmelo Anthony. Live TV. I would never yeah. forget that, and that still hurts to this day. But go ahead. Oh, yeah, home. yeah, Sorry, yeah. Bro. So I mean, they're very much opposites. They're, one, one, you know, preaches chaos and preaches that we got to go big or no one's, you, no one's good for us. And Perry preaches uh, patience and build from within. So looking at mm-hmm. Perry's track line uh, or track record. Uh, he started with the Pistons when they were at their peak um, about, you know, 15 years when they were making the finals because they were patient. They had draft picks. 
And then they were able to work with their homegrown talent and put together a successful team. And then he had a brief stint with the Supersonics right before they became the Thunder. They had fallen apart. But then again, you think about the Thunder, it's all about the draft picks. It's all about preaching, um, you know, take guys and develop them and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You just don't try to trade assets and go for a guy like, um, go, go for a big, you know, free agent and then end up in the middle again or down below later on. You preach, you know, patience and tricks. And then with the magic, the magic were going nowhere right after Dwight and he cleaned up that mess. Just let's get, you know, a few drafts year after year after year, and then we'll build something. And then now Orlando has able to be a stable, you know, fringe playoff team because they didn't go out and sign huge free agents or trade away all their draft cap when, you know, sooner than they should have. And then with the Knicks, uh, it was a huge mess, obviously with Phil Jackson. Let's draft. Let's go for the big fish in the pond. Even though we're, you know, the New York Knicks, we have to build slowly. We have to Hold on to every asset. Yeah, exactly. And when they cleaned house, uh, Steve Mills got fired. They, you know, they fired David Fisdale. Um, they, you know, they had no president. They weren't going to look to Mike Miller. They kept Perry around because even though Perry wasn't winning and you always try to blame the general manager or the president or um, some sort of assistant in the front office or vice president was his um, or, or general manager was his official role and still is. He has always mm-hmm. had an eye for talent and drafting guys that have a lot of potential. And a lot of it hasn't been his fault. The slow progressions of Knox and Nilakina and, um, and you know, Porzingis and the early. Nah, nah, he tried. Nah, I, this is what I say to that. I disagree about Frank Nilakina. He tried to put my man Frank in the East River. <laughs> a couple of times. So that's the only thing I disagree with. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all good. Don't worry. Right. Uh, yeah, right. we're good. Frank Nilakina. Oh, and when you said Frank Nilakina, you know, I'm I'm a Franker, by the way. I love Frank Nilakina. Okay, okay. I yeah. strongly disagree with you when it comes to Scott Perry and Frank Nilakina because your man Scott Perry already then tried to bury my man Frank Nilakina in the East River. When he signed Emmanuel <laughs> Moutier, then he he tried to bury my man again when he signed Alfred Payton. Sure, so I was a little annoyed with Scott Perry over the Frank Nilakina situation. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. I guess I I would love to talk Frank, and we will talk Frank. And he's also chip on your shoulder, guys. Oh, you trade for Derrick Rose? Well, let me light up three pointers on you and see if <laughs> you want to keep me out of the rotation now. And you know, oh, by the way, my contract expiring. You know, maybe you don't want to, you know, trade me all of a sudden or you know, let me go. But yes, okay. So I guess I was just choosing Frank as an example of if guys are underdeveloping, that's coaching. That's that's pressure of the city demanding that every draft pick is an immediate, you know, Patrick Ewing. And with mm-hmm. Todd Perry, he's been able to assemble talent. And keep the guys and not trade them all of a sudden. A lot of teams like to draft and just, you know, go for all-stars or whatever. But he's been able to build up an asset pool that is now the top five in the league. And I was just saying this earlier to a friend of mine, and this is like a good, um, you know, account to Perry, is that the best place you want to be is you want to be winning and have a bright future. And the Knicks are doing that right now, and that's a testament testament to a great – in a healthy organizational track. So, you know, 
talk about a great testament. The Knicks is first in opponents' points per game. We're, we're first in opponents' field goal percentage. And this is just defense. And we're first in opponents' three-point percentage. And we're second in the NBA in points allowed per game. Mm-hmm. Um, the infrastructure is there. You know, I like the fact that you keep saying Scott Perry is trying to build within. I love the fact that you illustrated, you know, his tenure with OKC and then he moved around, you know, he was in Sacramento. But I like the fact that everywhere Scott Perry went, he seems to me like he cleans up a lot of people's messes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I, I will say this. I apologize, Scott Perry, for slandering you. <laughs> after after this after Mr. Alec literally just you just convinced me that Scott Perry's a good guy. Um I gotta stop bombing on this guy, man. <laughs> I, I gotta stop, man. I didn't realize how much good he has done. I, I only I, I think I realized it the other day. Um I was just sitting in my house, I'm off of work, and you know, I'm watching Porzingis highlights, and I'm like, damn, Scott Perry traded him. But this man is doing a great job. And this goes right into our next segment. The best protection infrastructure. Um, what was your reasoning for naming that paragraph that? And what I liked about this paragraph, right? The one thing that was notable about David Fisdale's tincture with the Knicks was he had the smallest developmental staff in the NBA. That is malpractice um, as a new coach. So what made you write this third paragraph and name it the way that you named it? Yeah, absolutely. And you gave me some great metrics about uh, how they rank amongst the league. That was a great segue there. Um, mm-hmm. So, and we're thinking about healthy operation, good business, uh, the respected manager at the top, motivated human resources. Now, how do you win? Um, they were just letting people light it up. Everybody's lighting it up in MSG, but the players weren't blue and orange. <laughs> to have it, it was true i mean you know every given night you know we'll have we'll have a good uh we'll have a good wayne ellington game or whatever but and you know realistically um you need to have you need you need to have a backbone i guess is the way i'm thinking about it that's infrastructure everything has to fit in the right mm-hmm. place and it will be poetry in motion that sounds a lot like offense but it's really about the defense because they were just way too risky in the way they were trying to win games, just relying on the hot hand, or they were trying to um, shoot their way into victory. They were trying to have, um, you know, brilliant passing, but they were letting up so many points. And that's really not how you win. If you look at the best teams at the end of the year, they're all playing pretty considerable defense, despite the stars on the team. So, mm-hmm. you, it, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. real quick. That's yes. another reason why I love Frank Nilakina, bro. Because mm-hmm. I'm so used to guys coming in the garden and running them up. Nobody gives a goddamn about defense. So it, it used to annoy me. So that's another reason why I love Frank Nilakina. But go continue. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, so, and, and this is a great segue into Thibodeau. And I'm happy we're bringing up Frank just now. Because Thibodeau, and I talk about this, while he is known as a elevator or fixer like Perry was he's a really great young player developer well you know obviously Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler and you know Carl Towns but he's a defensive specialist 
he's able to wreak havoc. We don't, you know, whatever happens on the other end, that's that's on us. But we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. Um, make your your life hell when you come in, and mm-hmm. we're gonna stop you, no matter what talent you have. Defense travels. That's why they're able to win so many more games now than they were before. He's recognizing everybody's individual strengths, like you just said uh, before. RJ um, is very strong and tough. And then we got other guys we'll talk about later, but like, you know, Robinson with his shot blocking is obviously plus and Frank Nilakina playing on the perimeter. You start to look mm-hmm. at these are the reasons why they can be in rotation, not because of what they can do offensively. <laughs> That's why other teams pass them up, but they're winning because the defense that all those guys are playing. So with Thibodeau, yeah, it's heavy minutes. Yeah. It's a lot of fourth quarter time, but those minutes and those important uh, moments in the court go to the guys that put in the most efforts on defense because that's where you're stopping opponents and winning games, blocking shots, contesting, chasing loose balls, mainly forcing turnovers and, you know, just just bad bad possessions. Um, they have really soared into the defensive team after being a doormat for so many years. Um, yes. It would not surprise me if none any all defensive honors because no one's having like an amazing statistical season however you would rather everybody on the team in the starting lineup and on coming off the bench playing tough defense one through ten and when you find yourselves in i think the fifth seed right now and nobody's putting up or, or the starting lineup is pretty underwhelming or they're less in points per game how are they doing it it's the best protection unit it's the best um, it's the best insurance is that we, you know, we yep. might not have it on any given night with offense. We can't control injuries. We can't control, um, you know, poor shooting nights. We can't control who we're going to play, but we can at least give ourselves a, we know how to stop the people on the other end. Let's not worry about ourselves. Let's just worry about the people in front of us and it'll give us a much better mm-hmm. chance to win. And Thibodeau knows how to bring the most out of that. Um, and you hear it, you know, especially on the broadcast with him screaming at everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it was funny. Last week, I heard him scream Obi Toppin's name about six times on one possession. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Thibodeau must be. <laughs> if you're a guy who 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 likes people who, like, it, it's a certain type of worker. Either you like your bosses to be on top of you and actually show you how to do everything, or you like to work without your bosses uh you you like to work without your bosses being on your back, you know, not micromanaging. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Thibodeau looks like the type of guy. He don't micromanage, but he's going to teach the hell out of you. And he's teaching these kids how to play defense. RJ Barrett has the highest defensive plus minus on the team right now. The kid is 20 mm-hmm. years old. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you got another guy, Mitchell Robinson, who future-wise can be an all-team first, all-first-team defender. Easily, easily, including R.J. Barrett. Because I, I love R.J. Barrett's defense. I watched the game versus the Clippers. He shut down Kawhi for a half, literally shut him down. So it, it, it's stuff like that which you just love to see. Now we go into the f- fourth paragraph. The uh, You know, you talk about the top prospects in this paragraph. And what I love about this paragraph, right, and what I love about my Knicks Young core is the players that we pick, none of them, how can I say that? None of them is redundant. So Kevin Knox does something different. 
you know, Mitchell Robinson does something different. RJ Barrett does something different. Frank does something different. You know, all of these draft prospects do something different. It's not like the Atlanta Hawks. When you go into your draft and you draft a guy like DeAndre Hunter and you draft a guy like Cam Reddish, it's like, what the hell are you yes. doing? You're, you're killing yourself like that. Um, so I want, I want you to explain the, the fourth paragraph. You know, everybody loves the youth. I love the kids. It took me about a year and like a month to fall in love with Julius Randle because I hated him last season. Mm-hmm. But now I respect his game. So let Nick Nation know about this beautiful paragraph about the young court. Yes, allegiance to top prospects. So again, going on the good business. um, So you've had the great leader. You have all the people in the organization motivated to succeed. And you have some insurance. You're able to put yourself in a good position. Now, how do you sustain it once you're winning? You need to Mm -hmm. utilize your investments very wisely so that you can keep moving forward or else you're not going to be able to develop any assets. You're not going to, you know, you have no faith moving forward if you're just recycling pieces and utilizing new, utilizing um, all of your, all, all of your, you know, top prospects and not really going anywhere with them. It's just going, it's going to be a waste and it just hurts the organization's problem. Eventually, eventually everything runs out and, you know, you run out of time to put things together when you have something special. So I love what you mm-hmm. say about everybody having a distinct set. And you're right. Other teams will just direct the centers. We're going to, you know, take a brand new point guard every two years and he'll start or you forget all that. You need to have guys <laughs> with different skill sets because you never know. Hey, we have a Julius Randle now. Hey, we have a, you know, we have some shooting with Alec Burks. How are all these things going to fit in? Now we need defense. Now we need, now we need some shooting. We need athleticism. And all these things come into play. All the draft picks, even though they might not develop into superstars, they all come back into play once the team starts winning again because you need their distinct skill set. You need to have Mm -hmm. a foundation of all these guys. So like I mentioned a few guys here, you could be unhappy with Kevin Knox's development, Dennis Smith Jr. when he was on the Knicks, Damian Dotson didn't really develop into anything. Alonzo Trier was like a one-and-done type guy. And those guys developed into Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, Fred Van Vliet. Sure, they weren't as talented as those guys. They weren't drafted as high as those guys. I mean, Fred Vliet was undrafted. But anyway, um, you need to commit. All those teams, all those players are just names. Their teams back them. And why is R.J. Barrett, you know, so successful with plus minus? Why is Emmanuel quickly second in the rookie ladder? Why is Mitchell Robinson uh, looking like a first-team all-defender in a couple of years because they're throwing them into the fire and letting them come out as hard and steel because you are getting fullest potentials and raising their confidence, getting them to build and develop chemistry, and all of a sudden it looks like a much healthier operation when R.J. Bear is getting 34 minutes a game and Emmanuel quickly looks like he's playing almost every game as a rookie and Mitchell Robinson is finally starting. It's so much more beneficial to play the guys you draft. You have a foundation of good player development. And, oh, well, now, yes, yeah, yes that's the word, yes. And, <laughs> and oh, okay, now now free agents want to come sign to you. Now you want to your team because we can build something out of nothing and make it great. Uh, why don't you just come on board and we can, we can fly. We can build something better together. Uh, it's great because everybody's relatively inexpensive and they're winning. And they're able to have a lot of 
flexibility and how do we want to move around these parts? Do we want to trade anybody? Let's pick up a Derrick Rose with this new asset. Oh, Frank Nilakina, you know, let's sign him to a new extension. Um, let's let some other guys go. Oh, please, God. Yeah. So, so it's, it's currently working to, um, you know, they're looking around. Boston is really good with player development, keeping guys. Brooklyn developed all those assets. Philly's leaded by their, you know, uh, first-round picks now. Toronto is a developmental team, even with undrafted guys. And the Knicks all had to do was look around and say, we just need to develop and stick to the people that we've invested in, and we'll be okay. And right now, they're being led by the people that they've invested in, not the people that they've signed, and they're winning, and they have a much clearer tunnel of how they're going to get to, you know, the playoffs rather than before when everything just had such a small timeline to uh, to develop and bring anything together. So, you know, before we get into, you know, the last part, I tell people the way that the Knicks are going to be a championship contender or at least win a championship, they have to go back to the roots, bro. When I say go back to the roots, how did the Knicks win their first two championships? You know how they won? They drafted yeah. well. They drafted the two main pillars and Clyde and Willis Reed. And then everything else fell into place. You know what I'm saying? They had a great coach, legendary coach, but they drafted their players. We're not the Lakers. We can't buy championships. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not. You, you got to do it from within. And I've been begging the Knicks to do this since uh, 2001. And I remember when we traded Patrick Ewing. And because we traded Patrick Ewing, we signed Jerome James. Then you trade every first-round pick you, known to man because you hired Isaiah Thomas, and Isaiah Thomas just think he thinks he knows everything. So little stuff like that, to me, bothers me when it comes to the Knicks. They have to win by trusting the process. This is how they got to win. And now we go into the final thing, their value proposition. And, you know, you talk about the, the very first line, the underwhelming Carmelo Anthony experience came to an end in 2016 and 2017. But you talk about how we began the Chris Porzingis era and we didn't have no draft picks. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't build consistently with Porzingis. And I tell people all the time, yo, we do y'all remember that Carmelo Anthony trade? Or do y'all remember that Andreas Bargnani trade? Like, I, like mm-hmm. before you go, bro, explain mm-hmm. this paragraph. Bro, I remember sitting. I was sitting at my job. And I was watching last year's playoffs. I watched Donovan Mitchell score 57 points. And I watched Jamal Murray score 50 points in the same game. Every time Donovan made a jump shot, bro, I thought about Frank Nilakina, and I thought about Phil Jackson. And every time Jamal Murray made a jump shot, I thought about Andreas Bargnani. It's, it's, I don't know what the Knicks need to do. They just need to stand pat and be focused. What made you write this last paragraph, and why did you start it with the Carmelo Anthony experience? Yes, okay, so... Uh, just, you know, cause we're coming to a culmination with the article. It's you, you, you have, you need to have a good business in order to win in the NBA. You have the leader 
you have the players motivated and all everybody in the organization focused on on winning. You have your insurance with the defense. That's how you're able to win consistently. You have allegiance to all these top prospects playing, all all these young guys playing great minutes, and you now you're building a path towards winning sustainably. How do you actually get to the next level? You know, this is all great and fun. Fifth seed, every Knicks fan has been, you know, chasing a championship since 73. You need the guy. Mm-hmm. And I start with Carmelo Anthony because this is everybody's, this is what everybody saw was going to happen was he was going to take them to the promised land and win that championship because he was the star they finally picked up. And yes, it was very underwhelming. Some of it a little bit because of maybe his selfishness or his not all around game, whatever. He didn't put the team around him enough. I'll believe that every day. And the same thing with Porzingis. They drove him out because they had nothing really to hand him. His job was so difficult, and his life was miserable because he was always in trade rumors for the team losing. You know, it wasn't his fault he was losing mm-hmm. as a twenty-two-year-old, whatever, um, whatever, you know, whatever age he was. They had no draft picks. They had no money. All their draft picks were underdeveloped. They had no veterans that uh, defended the, you know, the Garden and the city and the Knicks. And honestly, a foreigner with the amazing talent is going to have no respect for an organization. It's just going to think I can go somewhere else uh, to a much healthier uh, team and end up uh, being much happier and start winning because this is what competency looks like. And now he's on Dallas. Uh, oh, how did he get to Dallas? Well, Dallas actually had a cornerstone that interested him, and they had veterans that they put around him. They had a great coach. They had money. They had all their draft mm-hmm. assets. That's how they were able to acquire him. The Knicks haven't been able to – acquire anybody like that in a trade even in the Porzingis trade Julius Randle kind of just fell into their lap when they all this money for guys that they were going to spend on other people Julius Randle um you can say that and again okay so we're getting into the fifth paragraph the value proposition how are you going to take considerate steps forward if everything is in the right direction you need to have someone that's bringing you and carrying you um, to the promised land. And Randall is what we got. Randall was what many believed to be an overpay because Lakers and Pelicans wouldn't have paid him half of what we're paying now. That's a fact. Very true. true. Um, Knicks fans were extremely frustrated. We talk about all the time, you talked about it earlier, how frustrated you were with Randall. Um, he ended up getting the coach fired because they were so poorly, he was so poorly playing, the team was so poorly uh, playing together with him as the ball-dominant star. Now you have a much greater coach. You have much more motivated teammates. You have uh, a lot of young guys that need a leader, and you have a foundation of defense that makes everybody try harder and makes everybody accountable. Someone needs to have the talent and the leadership to bring it all together and keep it afloat. And Randall has done it. Wow, with he's really had an amazing, amazing season. Uh, everything's come together at the right time for him, and he's having his best season ever. Um, he's driving the Knicks' offense. I say he's the motor of their defense because he's not their best defensive player, but he's making sure everybody's doing their job as long as he does and as long as everybody's in the right spots. Uh, he's a great character. He's a great father, great family man. He's Everyone looks up to him, all the young guys on the team. You can see on social media, he has a great work ethic. He's very unselfish, never first. Uh, he never wants to credit. He always wants to say that it's the team's success, not his. 
he's always first to the young guys and the coach and how happy he is being in this organization and how he just wants it to be his home. So this is the new value proposition. What is a value proposition? It's how are you going to, in your own way, uh, grow this grow this team, grow this uh, company, grow this organization. They're doing it with a six foot nine, undersized, you could say, for a big man, uh, offensive star who's very unselfish, has great shooting touch, is very physical and very tough, and he just really tries and knows when he's got very um he's got very much winning dna and this you know even though we don't have porzingis i that randall really bleeding blue and orange something that porzingis never really cared to do (laughs) if we're being honest that is what makes this 19 and 18 much more important than porzingis's 19 and 18 because you see it moving forward and you can see how randall is actually a franchise piece that you want to build with and keep around. Yeah, it's funny that you said that. So last thing, I'm going to let you get out of here. Last thing that you can tell Nick Nation where they can find you and, and when you're going to write your next article. But it's funny. You just mentioned a lot of things to me. I've I seen a story, you know, by Bobby Marks, you know, and, and, and you write this in conclusion, you know, in conclusion, your last paragraph, you spoke a lot about the Knicks winning percentage and Julius Randle being the number one option and R.J. Barrett showing excellence as a cornerstone of the franchise, Mitch Robinson and other things. But specifically, Julius Randle. Four years, $106 million, mm-hmm. right? But we have Obi Toppin, who was drafted eighth overall. And Obi Toppin is Leon Rose draft pick. He's also Leon Rose's son's first, his son's client. Um, you know, Leon Rose did not sign Randall. I want to know what would you do in that situation that the Knicks is in right now? Because that's an argument every day for me and, and guys on Twitter who talk about this Julius Randall and Obi Toppin situation. What would you do? I I would not trade him if I had a bunch. You know, options. I first of all wouldn't trade him. I know that the deadline's approaching. That's why I bring it up. And his value is is the highest it's ever been. But you can see what trading mm-hmm. a star um, has done to an organization with Boston and how they trade Isaiah Thomas and now no to really sign with them because how they treated their you know their guy that brought him back to relevancy. Um, I would not trade him. That is just incredibly toxic and rude to his. It's disrespectful to him. It's rude to his ability and everything he's sacrificed to be the number one guy and be, um, you know, leading here, all the work he's put in. And it would just be a slap in the face to Knicks fan. What would I do? I mean, I think that you are in a very – yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're giving it time, yeah. I know. It's tough. I know it's, it's tough. tough. It's very tough. tough. That number sounds great. <laughs> Four for one of six sounds amazing because – it means that they can offer a guy big money and he's playing big money. When you think about it, and I don't agree with the four for 106, but when you think about it, if the Knicks could add a guy for less than $30 million a year who's averaging three points, 11 rebounds, five assists, shooting 40% from three-point range and has the team in the playoffs, the Knicks would throw $50 million at that. But that's what they got in Julius Randle. And 
that goes to show that they actually made the right decision to sign him in the first place. Does it make sense to re-sign him now that you have a foundation of winning? I think you have to look very short-minded with Randall and say, you know what? We have a bunch of exciting guys. We don't want to jeopardize all this money. We're not interested in throwing your money at like the Bradley Beals and the Kawhi Leonard's. No, no, no. We respect you, but can't sign up for a huge long-term thing like that. We can't do four years. We're happy to pay you all the money that we have to keep this thing going and keep you as the leader of the team maybe just for two years. You've earned this hefty paycheck, which you've been, um, you know, you've, you've been uh, dissed on for many years with the Lakers and Pelicans. You've earned this paycheck. You've earned security, and you've earned to, the right to control your future, and we love to keep you around. But do we want to give you the money that we want to give to our Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly, and Frank Nilakina? No, we're not comfortable doing that. It's just, it's been so toxic to see paying tons of money to an aging star, a la Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire. We don't like that track. Joakim Noah, we don't like that track. By the way, do you know that Joakim Noah is the third highest paid player on the Knicks right now? Yes, I do, and congrats to Joakim Noah. <laughs> Seems like James Dolan loved playing pay- retirement <laughs> plans. So, I, I so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, just... exactly. I love the way you put that. Randall, sure, we would love for you to stick around. We don't think that this money, you're going to be the number one guy, maybe not even the number two guy. I would say do not pay him long-term money. If he wants it and he's selfish about it and wants to leave elsewhere, okay, you've earned that, but it would be very smart for the Knicks now that they have everything going in the right direction to not throw away their best asset. You need to keep the guys younger with more potential around. And I would love a scenario where we re-sign Randall to the same deal where it's like, okay, we'll give you a lot of money while we have it. But at the end, when our young guys are up for new deals, we'll reconsider and maybe we'll have to give you a smaller deal. That's what I would do. Yo, that is a perfect way to pay Randall. Now that I think about it, um, you overpay him for like two years, like give him a two year, $60 million deal and, you know, give him a team option at the end of that. Because I always tell people, you you know, we could do all these trades. The trades is beautiful. You know, I I love the trades that we do, but we're going to have to pay RJ Barrett soon. We're going to have to pay Mitchell Robinson this offseason. I've been banging the table. Knicks need to re-sign Mitchell Robinson and re-sign Frank Nilakina. Um, Got to take the sign Frank. Frank Nilakina is a 22-year-old wingman who I know can finally shoot. He's learned, finally learned how to dribble the basketball. Took him four years. But you can't just let young guys like that just walk out the door. We sign those guys. There's nobody on the market, really, for us to get. There's mm-hmm. no superstars for us to get within mm-hmm. the next two, three years. Um, I looked at the free agency. I don't want to pay none of them dudes big money. Um, Bradley Bill and Zach Levine is cool. That's 2022. I'm not looking their way right now because I'm not interested in either mm-hmm. player. Um, I, I, I would like for the Knicks to just build for once. We haven't re-signed a young guy since 1994, Charlie Ward. Gotta break that curse. Um, And that's tough. That's tough. But the last paragraph, 
you got here, you know, in conclusion, you know, you basically talk about how the Knicks was one has been one of the five worst teams in the NBA since 2015, 0.308 winning percentage, you know, and you talk about 20, uh, 2021 where the Knicks is finally heading in the right direction. And the last time they made the playoffs was in 2013, 2013. So, you know, what was your final thoughts as you was writing this article? Like, how, how did you feel this article came out? And how did you feel, you know, the Knicks? Because at the time, the Knicks was 15 and 16 at the time that you wrote this article. But how do you feel about them, you know, after writing the article and, and, and being motivated and actually seeing this progress? How, yeah, I was how, fortunate how to have the opportunity to turn back time since I knew the team so well. I was able to take a, a holistic view, not just like a recent one, you know, what they did with some other articles. But how did it really all come together? I had so much um, knowledge of how this team finally got to this point where hooray I'm like writing about the team doing well at 15 and 16 like how is that how is that high point but it really is so they I, I won't go through the whole list again but they've done everything to put together a good business they're one they were one of the worst teams in the NBA now they're one of the best teams in the east which is kind of something to celebrate um it's you gotta you gotta show credit to the front office you gotta show credit to the players who are all doing who are all playing their roles to perfection every young guy has high expectations but they're doing the most they can rj mitch quickly you're so happy to get derrick rose coming in the door because he's brought some new energy to the team you don't know how sustainable it's going to be we've seen in recent years the second half Things fall apart no matter how long you stay 500. And we, we really don't know. We're only 37 games in. That's still 35 more to go. And uh, I just – I think that whatever happens, at least this is a much smarter to the end of the season. Everybody ha- Everybody on the team is playing pretty well. There's a great rotation. There's great coaching. You have what you can call franchise guys. You have guys that you know you're going to re-sign – Hopefully, Frank, you know you want to keep RJ and Mitch around. Those are franchise pieces. IQ, you're going to reconstruct Julius Randle's deal. You know you have no hiring to do in the summer. You know you really like the people that you've put in the front office because everything is going in the right direction. So the Knicks, as I say, like on the last in the last paragraph, is that, um, you know, things could fall apart. And I guess I'm really talking to Knicks Nation, who you're, who you're telling me to talk to. Instead of worrying about the next two months and how things could fall apart like they always do, the Knicks players, Tom Thibodeau, Leon Rose, and Knicks Nation should only think about two things. The first is that they're actively winning, and that should be celebrated considering they've been losing for so long. It's just it's just enjoy it. Don't look at Brooklyn. Don't look at, you know, it's only 500. Don't look at the play-in tournament. It might kick us out of the actual playoffs. Just enjoy the winning. And then the number two is that they finally have – a good, healthy operation that everybody's bought into. There's no more poor planning. There's no more false hope that we'll get this guy. There's no more star rumored in free agency. <laughs> There's no more we're going to sign a guy and then cut him loose in a week. It's a really great operation. Nope. And you have a guy like Randall um, who doesn't have, doesn't have really the potential that Porzingis has. And I understand that you might have been a happier Knicks fan when you had – uh, incredible, like Phil Jackson running things, or you still had Porzingis and 
You still had uh, a lot of, you know, draft picks you could do over. I'll say that with Porzingis, he, you know, he'll have, he'll have like 28 points yesterday. He had 28 points and 14 rebounds, and that made a headline. And Julius Randle, when he has eight points and 14 rebounds, it's literally like a Tuesday. It's just, it's just the same. That's what you expect. So I would say Randall to me. Yeah. Por- I, yo, I yes. strongly agree. Porzingis, we, strongly Porzingis agree. and all the guys that we've let go or passed up on, you know, we, we have no control over Donovan Mitchell. We have no control over Shea Gilgis Alexander. We have no control over Kristaps uh, Porzingis. We can control RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randall, mm-hmm. all of our assets, all of our money. And we can move forward the way that we want to now because there's a stability and accountability and the team is trying and the team loves playing together. And there is just a much brighter, uh, much brighter end of the tunnel than it has in years past. So it's just a great to be a Knicks fan, not because the season's getting great, but because the seasons ahead look much clearer and much brighter than they have before. Um, and also, you know, R.J. Barrett is the highest draft pick of, of my lifetime. I'm 31, so I, I the way I the way I love R.J. Barrett is how 90s Knicks fans love Patrick Ewing. R.J. Barrett is untradeable to me. I will give you my parents <laughs> before I give you R.J. Barrett. That's how special this kid is to me. Um, this team, I love what they're doing. Uh. This article that you that you wrote explains a lot. You know, it explains the beginning of our new situation. You know, Leon Rose coming in. You know, Steve Mills. You know, he died for our sins. Mm-hmm. Shout outs to Steve Mills. You know, if it wasn't mm-hmm. for him, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be here right now. So you got to give him a shout out as well. Um, but you know, I appreciate you for coming on the show. You know, I wanted to get you out of here before the Knicks game, before a lot of these games comes on. Seems like the Knicks game is, is coming on right now. Um, any last words? Uh, first of all, I thank you for coming on to the show. Um, I thank you for your work. I appreciate you. I can't wait to see the Knicks article that you write after this season so I can bring you back on again because I know you're going to have mm-hmm. another beautiful piece written. Um, let the people know where they could find you, where your articles is at, sportsology.com. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so great. I have to say, before I even, like, promote my own stuff, but I'm so happy for this platform. I love what you do. I love that I, you know, made a new connection today, and I was so happy to reach out, and you reached out. And it's, uh, it's great. You know, it's a great time to be a part of Knicks Nation, and the Knicks have the most passionate fan base. I can hear how much, um, you know, on it than me because of, um, how many more people and how many more memories you've uh, had um, and how many poor times you've had to endure as a Knicks fan. But I love that you're leading this, um, you know, new platform and I will definitely be a part of it soon. So you can find me on sportsology.com on Twitter is the best way to connect with me, Alec Marcus NBA. I will much just be writing and promoting articles once a week about a new team, even though you can always talk to me about Knicks. Um, I will be publishing a new article each week, promoting it on game day. Uh, throw me a follow. You'll always get the scoop on my new articles. I'm happy to talk anything NBA with you because I'm a huge NBA fan, but also the Knicks. You know, I wrote this piece. It was very special to my heart, uh, being a Knicks fan. 
And I definitely am proud of this work and so happy it touched you and was able to, um, you know, give you give you a reminder of not just, you know, the success coming in the last three or so months, but how this is such a long time coming and how much we've had to gone through as Knicks fans, as Nick Nation. Um, it's it's finally good business. And I would just love to connect with anyone listening. Um, I will definitely be keep listening to the show. It has a new subscriber from me. And let's just have a really good second half and enjoy the Knicks and keep the conversation going. Um, that that was a great closeout, by the way, man. That was a Reggie <laughs> Bullock closeout right there, man. At the three point line. <laughs> but, but, bro, I really appreciate you coming on to the show, man. You know, I hit up anybody to come on to the show because I love to talk to people about the Knicks. I don't give a damn where you're from, how you look. I don't care. I want to talk Knicks. If I love the work that you do, I got to talk Knicks with you. I love the work that you do. Um, low key, I can't wait till you put out that Charlotte Hornets article because I, I really love the team. I, I can't. Yeah. Lie. I'm the Knicks fan to death, but I, I I pay for NBA League Pass just to watch the Hornets. So I can't. Yeah, wait they're, they're exciting. Article. Yeah, but um. Bro, so, bro, they were so exciting. I was, I was jumping out my chair the other day, man. Lamelo and yeah, I'm, Miles. I'm a huge, oh, I'm a huge Miles fan. I'm a huge Rozier fan. Happy finally getting um someone that get. He's finally on a team that'll give him heavy minutes because he be the guy, even though he's undersized and uh you know he's a late draft pick. And he uh just you know Lamelo, all the criticism he's got. Uh, Gordon Hayward, how much people say he's overpaid. Um, Malik Monk, all that he's mm-hmm. had to overcome. Devonte Graham being a late bloomer. It's such an exciting team. I feel like the Knicks and the Hornets are on the same track where they finally got a guy leading them that they're proud of, despite all the turmoil and all the losing. And whenever they play, it's exciting because it's a bright future. So I'll definitely, you know, hit you up about a Hornets article I have soon. Hopefully, Lamelo keeps them in the win column and they can be in the playoff push. Bro, you're good. Before we get out of my last thing, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say peace out, Nick Nation. I'm praying to God that the Knicks could get the first round matchup with the Hornets. That will be an all time watch mm-hmm. playoff series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all time. I, I love what both teams is doing. I love what my Knicks is doing. Shout out to the Hornets. But Alec, let me get you out. Let, let, I'm gonna let you get out of here. Um, the next game is on. And um, Nick Nation, I'm going to let y'all get out of here, too, as well. Um, I appreciate you coming on to the show. Nick Nation, I appreciate y'all coming on to the show. State of the New York Knicks podcast, you know, episode 138. With my guy, Alec yep. Marcus, Marcus of Sportsology. Um, we both out of here. Peace. <laughs>